There's some things from the Word of God tonight I want to talk to you about. <clears throat> Unfortunately, some things that we don't talk about too often in the church. There's a few scriptures in the Word of God that are so rarely taught on, at least in the churches I was raised up in. But tonight I want to talk about one of those. In fact, I'm going to talk about a couple of them. One of them is Hebrews 10:25. Actually, in Hebrews chapter 10, I'm going to start with verse 22. It says, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. We're supposed to draw near to God with a true heart. We're not supposed to have our heart contaminated with the world as Christians. Now, when you're in the world, that's a whole different story. But when you become a child of God, you're supposed to meet the requirements of God's mighty word. And if we do not, we suffer the consequences. And this is something that I didn't know for years, raised up in a church, went to church every time the door was open, but I had no idea that there was a consequence to every sin that I did. Now I know that there is. But it says that's why he tells us over and over to have no sin, to walk holy in his presence. And when we do that, that's what I teach people at healing schools and how to repent of their sins. And many people, when they repent of their sins, Right there on the spot, many of them are healed. That's why we've had such a failure in the church when it comes to healing, because we don't take care of the problem. The problem's still there. So this tells us that we're supposed to draw near to God with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Then in verse 23, it says, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And that's another thing that we do very badly. We waver. I mean, in church, if somebody prays for you for something, someone will say, well, do you think this is going to happen? People will say, well, I hope so. I don't know what God's going to do. You can't tell what God's going to do. Yes, you can He's going to do exactly what he said in this book. He's going to not deviate from it, not one bit. So if you're not reading the book and learning what it says, you're already in trouble. You're just like I was. Although I was a church member, a deacon, a Sunday school teacher, everything for years, I didn't have much of this word hidden in my heart. But now then that I've studied it, I've learned how to hold fast to the profession of faith without wavering. Now, when I do that, in fact, I think about holding fast, walking holy before God. I think about a little young lady that works for me in the ministry right now. She's just a precious little Methodist girl. And the first time she came to one of my meetings several years ago, she had seen me on television on Daystar. So she came to one of our meetings And I taught the Word of God for an hour and a half or so. And then I opened the floor for anybody that needed to be healed. If they'd repent of their sins and come forward and believe God, He would heal you or restore you. 
Well, she looked up and she saw a man walking down the aisle and one hand was all withered. And she thought, wow, a withered hand. And so she said she just lowered her head and continued to pray silently. She had never seen anything like she had seen in that little church we were in that day. And then all of a sudden, she said she heard somebody screaming, I'm healed, I'm healed. And she looked up, and when she did, there was that little guy that had the withered hand jumping around like a bunny rabbit all over the platform up there with both hands working perfect. God had completely, instantly healed that man's withered hand. She was awestruck. And then she sat there and watched another man, and I'll even call that man's name. He's such a wonderful man of God, Steve Blake. I still remember Steve and Laura, his beautiful wife, and their little son. Steve walked down after he saw Will Hill that day. He walked down and said, Thurman, I've got some ruptured disc in my back. He said, I have never picked up my son. Do you think God might heal me? I said, Steve, I know he will. If you have your sins repented of, I'll pray for you, and I know without wavering God will heal your back. I reached over and touched him and said, be healed in the name of Jesus. And the king of the universe instantly healed Steve Blake's back. Steve's pain left, and he could bend. And he said, this is awesome. I said, well, you said you'd never been able to pick up your son. I said, pick him up. So he picked up that boy. And to this day, far as I know, last time I saw Steve, Steve for years had never had another problem with his back. Draw near in full assurance of faith without wavering. If you don't know the promises of God, you can't draw near without wavering. And when you waver, God's a faith God. And when you waver, he doesn't answer your prayer. That's sin. When you waver, that's sin. So you need to make sure you don't waver. You need to make sure that you're holding fast to your profession of faith. Now let's go on. Then he says in verse 24, Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. We should be talking to each other about walking in love and good works. That's what should be coming out of our mouths. We should be asking people that are in church, or tell me what kind of good works you're doing for the Lord. What did you do this week uh, when you see them at church Sunday? What did you do good for Jesus this week? Did you do something good for someone? Did you love someone this week? Did you do something wonderful for Jesus? And then he says in verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Now, that means to go to church. Regular, we should be about God's business. We shouldn't be in church just on Sunday. We should be in church any time, Sunday morning, Sunday night, if that's when your church has services, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night, whenever they have services, that's when you need to be there. And not only are you need, do you need to be there and not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together with those believers studying the Word, but every day you need to be studying God's Word and reading and meditating on the Word of God every day. Every day. Now then, after you do all this and you read the Word and study the Word, then here is a scripture that this is one that's really, really tough. 
Very few people talk about this verse or these next few verses that I'm going to talk about here tonight. But I think it's extremely critical for the church today. Most people know, even Christians have been to church, they know what is sin, especially the major sins. They know that lying is sin. They know that adultery is sin. They know that fornication is sin. They, they know that stealing is sin. They know murder is sin. They know these big sins, if we want to call them that. But they do them anyway. And then they wonder why they have all the problems. Well, here is the answer. In Hebrews 10, 26, For if we sin willfully after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. If you stop and think about that a minute, if you know it's wrong to steal something, and you steal it anyway, you premeditate it, you know it's wrong, and you do it, there's no sacrifice for that sin left. You can ask forgiveness, but it's not going to happen. The wrath of God is going to come up on you for that sin. It's kind of like being a child, and you have a mother and a dad, and they have told you several times over and over, don't do this. And if you do, you will receive three licks. And so the child says, well, I'm going to try out dad and see if he means business. So he goes the next day or two or three, and he does what dad told him not to do, because if he did it, there would be a consequence of three licks. Now, dad's not a liar. And unfortunately, many dads are liars. They'll tell their children they're going to do something like that, and then they won't. But God's not a liar. He always tells the truth. So he says there, if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sin, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversary. Now, at this point, you may be a Christian, but at this point, when you sin willfully, you're the adversary. He that despised Moses' law, and then he gives us this example of how it works. Under the law, he that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Just think. Under the law, if two or three men saw you kill someone, all they had to do was go to town and tell the authorities, we saw John kill Jack, and there's three of us that saw it, and all of us say he did it. And they go out there, and they look, and they find Jack, and he's dead. This man, it's over. John, on the testimony of those two or three men, he's going to lose his life. That's the way it used to be under the law. But the Lord's telling us here, he that despises Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much more sore or punishment suppose you shall he be thought worthy who has trodden underfoot the Son of God and has counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified 
an unholy thing and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. For we know him that has said, Vengeance belongs to me. I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. He's talking about Christians here. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Today, there is so much sin in the church. And a lot of those people know what they're doing is sin. And that's why, unfortunately, that many people that come to me to a healing school do not receive their healing. Because they knew when they committed these sins, and they didn't just commit them once. They committed them many times. And my heart goes out to them to think that here in the Word of God, we have not done the Word of God justice to our people in our churches. We've not taught them what God's Word says. And unfortunately, most people will never sit down and read the Word of God. They will take only what the preacher says on Sunday. And they'll never get in. If they're too busy, they're out trying to make a living or whatever. And so they do not realize what God's requirements are in His Word. And so by not knowing this, they will come down with some kind of terrible thing. Either finances will be destroyed. Because one of the things that I've learned... In the churches I've been associated with, I don't think I ever have seen a church that had more than 25 to 35 percent of the members of that church that tithe. But God tells us to tithe. He tells us not only to tithe, He tells us to give. And He says, Give and it shall be given unto you. Well, it's amazing how many people will not give. Now, of course, that's why at our ministry center we give everything away. I mean, we've got people that answer our telephones all day, every day, and there are probably even some there tonight, that if anybody calls us and our ministry number, we will send them free and postpaid all of the media and stuff that we make there in our church, our teachings, our healing schools, everything. We send it out to you free and postpaid. We give everything away. We don't charge for our ministry appointments. People come and spend hours with us from all over the country, and we never charge for anything. We just trust God. And He supports all of our needs. He meets all of them. But we in our ministry, and I teach my people in the ministry to walk holy and obedient to God all the time. And by doing that, we try our best to not waver. One of the young ladies told me the other day, she said, Mr. Scrivener, when I pray for someone, as soon as I pray and thank God, I have to put my hand over my mouth and not open it again so I don't sin. It's so easy for somebody to say, well, what do you think about that person? It's so easy to say, well, I really hope God does something. Well, that's sin. So you have to keep your mouth closed. After you pray the prayer of faith, you don't say anything that's negative. You stand on God's mighty word. 
And that's what so many people do not do. They don't stand on the Word of God. They just go do whatever and say whatever, not realizing that God is a faith God, and you have to do it His way. This scripture is so scary when I think about it. After I read this scripture, if a Christian sins willfully after he has received the knowledge of the truth, there is no sacrifice for that sin left. If there's no sacrifice remains for that sin, then nothing but a fiery judgment of God will come upon you. So many people that we that come to our ministry center, that come to our healing schools, are miraculously healed. Many of them get healed. We have seen thousands of people healed. But we've seen a lot that didn't get healed either. We are not batting what I would call a thousand or a hundred percent. I wished I could. But the only way we're going to ever get there is we're going to have to make sure that people know that you don't sin willfully after you have the knowledge of the truth. Because I don't know in God and His mercy, I don't know how long He will go. I know I have seen people that have committed what I consider foul sins, awful sins, and yet God forgives them and heals them. But I have seen some that will hold a grudge against someone, and they will hold that grudge for years, and maybe one or two of their children will come down sick. In fact, I might tell you right here about when the Lord says, if you do not forgive, I will send the tormenting spirits to you. Now, a lot of the church does not know this either. But in Matthew chapter 18... Verses 21 through 35, Jesus is telling Peter how the kingdom of heaven works. And he tells about a man that owed a huge debt. He called it 10,000 talents. Other translations calls it $3.84 billion. But anyway you look at it, it's a large debt. It said the man couldn't pay. It said the king was going to call the servants in to pay off all the debts. And when this man was called in, he could not pay. And since he couldn't pay, he was going to be sold. His wife was going to be sold. His children were going to be sold. And his lands and his houses and all that he owned to pay the debt. Now, right there is a portion of the Scripture that's very important, and I missed it for years. If... You have unforgiveness, and a man and a woman, when they get married, the two become one. So right there in Matthew 18, 21 through 35, if either the husband or the wife holds an unforgiveness toward anyone, it will bring a torturing, tormenting spirit to your family. Now, where is that spirit going to attack you? God only knows. I don't know if he's going to attack the man the woman, the children, or your assets. But I have seen it every way. Through the years, as I've learned this, I've seen children that were with a seizure, 104-degree temperature, for two or three or four days. 
Nothing a doctor could do would help the child. And then I'm looking for a sin. It's amazing how we don't look for a sin. But, of course, in this family, I am looking for a sin. The doctors are not able to help this child. They're not able to lower the temperature or anything. So in the process of talking with the young man, I asked him if he's a Christian. He said he was. I asked him if he went to church. He said he did. I asked him if he was walking in love, and he said at the time, as far as he knew, he was walking in what he understood was love. Now, he was a young man in his early 20s. I asked him if he had any unforgiveness toward anyone. And he said, no. I said, then it must be your wife. He said, what do you mean? I said, well, Proverbs 26, 2 says, no curse comes upon you undeserved. And I guarantee you got a curse on your family because your little three or four-year-old daughter is sick and afflicted. And down there with a 104-degree temperature and a seizure, she's under a curse. I said, she's too young to have brought it upon herself. So we checked with the mother, and sure enough, the young mother had unforgiveness toward a cousin for a long time. Well, Matthew 18, 21 through 35 says, if you don't forgive, in verse 35, Jesus clearly said, if you don't forgive your brothers from your heart, God will turn us over to the tormenting spirits. Now, isn't that amazing? God is going to turn you over to a tormenting spirit. Well, when God turns you over to a tormenting spirit, I don't care what you do. You can't cast that spirit out. You can do anything you want to do. You can raise your voice. You can push them down. You can scream and cry and beg and do anything you want to do. But until that sin is taken care of, that curse is not going away and you can't get that child healed. So this mother had unforgiveness but toward a cousin. Once we got her sin taken care of, once it was taken care of, then we went to the room where the little girl was. And I told the young man, I said, I want you to do this yourself. I'm going to show you that you as a man have spiritual authority over your family and the demons of hell have to be subject to you as long as they have no legal claim to you and or your family. And so after all the repenting was done, I took him over there and I told him, I said, now you read Luke chapter 10, verse 19 and 20, two verses. Now that's what these two verses say. Jesus said, behold... I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, rejoice not in this, that the evil spirits have to be subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your name's written in heaven. Now, that'll only work for you. That powerful verse will only work for you if you're walking in obedience to the Word. Well, at this point, the young man was walking in obedience to the Word. Then I told him, I said, now go to Mark chapter 16, where Jesus said in verse 17 and 18, And these signs shall follow those that believe. In my name, the name of Jesus, we shall cast out devils or demons. And then the last part of verse 18 says, And you shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. Now again, that only works after sins are repented of for Christians. Now, it'll work without repentance on lost people, but it won't on Christians. Well, at least most of the time it will not. Sometimes it will. God is sovereign. He can do anything you can have faith for him for. But it sure works a whole lot better 
when you get people to repent of their sins. So after this family repented, and this young man read all these scriptures, he walked over to where his little girl had been down for three or four days with a seizure and a 104-degree temperature and laid his hands on her, rebuked the devil, commanded the devil to leave and for her to be healed in the name of Jesus. And in less than one or two minutes, that little girl's temperature went from 104 to 98.6, and she was up off of that bed walking around like nothing had happened to her. She was instantly healed. Now, who would ever dream that a mother holding unforgiveness in her heart towards someone, now it makes no difference what that someone had done to that mother, that doesn't count. But that kept that little girl bound up. And she could not get healed. It's so amazing when you learn that God's Word means exactly what it says. You have to do what it says. So when you learn this, and after you learn these principles, if you would even think about sinning, if you know that God says don't do it, you are treading on thin ice. Don't do it. Absolutely don't sin. So many people today that say they're Christians, when I walk up to them, uh, in fact, I was in a store the other day and walking kind of fast across there, and I heard somebody say, Sir. And I turned and looked, and this guy was hollering at me. And I said, Yes, can I help you? He said, Yeah, I need to ask you a question. I said, Well, before you ask me a question, let me ask you one. He said, Okay. I said, Are you a born again Christian? He stopped and hesitated, and he said, well, yeah. I said, great. I'm glad you're my brother in Christ. I said, now, where do you go to church? Well, he said, my wife and I don't go to church. I said, oh, so you're a rebellious Christian. He said, what do you mean? I said, well, if you don't obey God, you're rebellious. I said, you know, you won't ever get God to do anything for you. He won't answer your prayers. In fact, I said, he'll send demons to torment you because you're not doing what he said. He said, what? I said, sure. So we talked a few minutes, and after I told him a few more things, he said, I can't wait to get home. I said, what do you mean? He said, my wife is not going to believe this conversation I had with you today. I don't know what was going on in him and his wife's life, but evidently something was. And so he turned to walk off, and I said, oh, by the way, you said you had a question to ask me. And he said, yeah, but don't. He said, it's not necessary now. He said, what I was going to ask you, forget it. And he walked on off. I thought to myself, there we were, a divine appointment with a young man there in that store. And he needed to hear something from God's Word. Well, that's what God tells every one of us to do. Every one of us are to be about his business, doing these things. Now then, there is some other scriptures I want to go to tonight. I want to take you to some places and I've got a couple of places here, and I want to go to one of them in Galatians. And I hear a lot of people. In fact, I have, you have no idea how many people, as a pastor, that I have asked me this question. Thurman, my husband's running around on me. He won't go to church with me. He's committing adultery. He's not doing what God told him to do. Do you think if he died in this sin, is he going to heaven? Or my 
18-year-old daughter. She was in church all of her life. And when she got out of high school, she went to college, and the first thing she did, she met a boy, and she moved in with him. She's living in rebellion. She's drinking. She's doing things she shouldn't do. She's living with this boy, having sex with him, and she's not going to church anymore. If she dies in this sin, is she going to heaven? The average pastor will tell you, yes, she's saved. She'll go to heaven. But I'm going to tell you what the Word of God says. Then I'm going to let you make your own decisions. The Word of God clearly says in Galatians chapter 5, listen to what he says. Verse 16, this I say then, walk in the Spirit. Now, this is what we're supposed to do as Christians. All Christians are supposed to walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. But if you be led of the Spirit, you are not under the law. Only if you're led by the Spirit. Now then, it says the works of the flesh. The works of the flesh are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanliness. Now, this has to do with unclean things in sex. Everything he's talking about here in these first four words, adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, and lasciviousness are all wicked, unclean things in some form of a sex act. It's things that are grotesque, gross in God's sight. All of them pertain to unclean, adultery, fornication, wicked sex. It says, then idolatry, witchcraft, hatred. Some Christians say they hate people. It's amazing. But hatred, then variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in times past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. That's kind of scary, isn't it? You know, if I was a human being and I was running around on my wife and I thought nobody in the world knew it but me and the other person, if I were to read a scripture like that one right there, I would have to immediately repent and stop doing what I was doing. Because if I continue to live in that, and I die in that sin, although I say I'm washed in the blood, I'm not going to heaven. That book, the Word of God, says you're not going to heaven. There's a scripture that I want to read to you out of Hebrews chapter 5, verse 9. 
In Hebrews 5, 9, it says, In being made perfect, he's talking about Jesus, he became the author of eternal salvation. Now, I've heard about eternal salvation all of my life in church, but I never heard the rest of this statement. He became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Wow. So what if you don't obey him? Then salvation is conditional upon your willingness to obey God's word. And there is many, many places in the word of God that say those very things that confirm what we're just saying. And right here in Galatians chapter 5, we're reading one of them. He could not be any clearer when he says, If you walk in the Spirit, you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. How do you walk in the Spirit? You have to fill the Spirit of God, which lives in you, with this food. Day by day, hour by hour, and this word of this book has to be fed into you every day. And if you feed the Word of God into you, then you will be strong in the Spirit, and you will be led of the Spirit, and your flesh will not be able to drag you off into sin. It's tough to make your flesh study this Word until the Spirit becomes in control. Because when you first get saved, I can assure you the flesh is in control. You were a child of the devil, and you come from the devil's world over in God's world, and the only thing changed was your spirit was made new. But your spirit has not been fed the word. Now you have to study and renew your mind daily with the word of God, just like Romans says. You are supposed to renew your mind daily with the word of God. If you don't, it will be so easy for your flesh to lead you off and get you into sin, and you will be back out there carousing, drugging, drinking, doing all those things that the flesh wants to do. And I really feel so sorry for you because I know that you really don't enjoy that. I mean, when people go out and drink, they think they're having fun. But they wake up the next morning with a terrible headache, they tell me, and all kinds of problems. And then after a few years, you wake up with uh, liver failure or kidney failures or who knows what all. Or you may get killed in a car wreck. So you really didn't enjoy that sin. People think they're having fun when they're sinning. But for a little season, when you're going out there, and drinking and with the boys and girls and having a party and all that stuff and all the things they do and cussing and uh, doing all the stupid things they do, it may appear to be fun for a little while. But you really better enjoy it because you're not going to enjoy hell. I don't think we preach on that enough anymore. Hell is a real place. Hell is in the center of the earth. A place of torment, a place of fire, a place where there's big demons, 
In fact, I listened to a young man the other night that I'm guessing he's in his late 30s or maybe early 40s. He either had a dream or a vision or a real trip to hell. He said it was so real it took him a year to get over it. But God took him to hell as a lost person. And he found himself falling into this deep abyss and he went into this chamber that was a prison and it was wicked in there. He said the stench in that place was beyond anything he had ever smelled. And he said while he was in this chamber, these great big beings, the most wicked looking things he had ever seen in his life, 12, 14, 15 feet tall, came into where he was. He said one of them reached down and picked him up by the arm and like a rag, picked him up and throwed him against the wall in the prison. And he said, it's like it broke every bone in my body. He said, I fell to the floor screaming for mercy. He said, another one of them come over there and said, here there is no mercy. And he said, he literally took those big long fingers with those fingernails, those claws, and reached into my body and tore a big chunk of meat off of me and said, I could feel it like it had really happened, like I was on earth and my body was being torn apart, the pain and the suffering. And he said, they would tear me apart and then said, after they would tear me apart, the flesh would all come back on me. And then it would start over again. He said it was constant pain and suffering. Let me tell you, the Word of God confirms all these things are real in hell. There's pain and suffering there. That's why the Lord sent Jesus to this earth to die for the sins of all the people. So that we, it makes no difference how bad you are because all of us initially belong to the devil. We're all children of the devil. So by being children of the devil, every one of us, until we get saved, when we get saved, the Lord forgives every sin we've committed, washes them away, and delivers us from the kingdom of darkness and translates us into the kingdom of light and makes us children of the Most High God. Now he tells us to act like children of the King. He says, no sin. Don't sin. You know, don't do all the things you used to do. You're supposed to now die to yourself and live unto righteousness because you've come to a different kingdom. But many of us don't know that. And many people that are Christians continue to sin. And when they continue to sin, they have no idea that they're opening a door to the world they just come from. Demonic spirits and those things love to get a hold of you when they have legal claim to you. They come in and make your life miserable. They break you. They send you to the hospital. They steal your children. They break your car. They break your dishwasher. They do all kinds of things. They mess up your life when they have legal right. But if you will walk holy in obedience to God's word, you give no claim to these beings. The Lord tells us. If we live in this place that he called us by the spirit then we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh so whenever the lust of the flesh tries to rise up to get you to do any of these things which some of the ones he's talking about here is so clear when he says adultery i mean that won't even enter your mind fornication 
uncleanliness, lasciviousness, all these wicked things. You won't be tempted by those things because you know you're not a child of the devil that's walking around out there in the pig pen of the world. You're a son of God or a daughter of God. You got on a clean white robe. He's washed you and cleaned you. You don't want to go back out there in the pig pen of the world. You want to walk holy before him. And when you do, when you walk holy in obedience to God's word, that's when these mighty promises that Cheryl and Christy sing about while ago in those songs. Some of you may or may not have picked up on some of those great and awesome promises. We think about what's going to happen to us as Christians when we don't walk in obedience to God's word. Well, let's see what he will do for us if we will walk in obedience to his word. Now, if we walk in obedience to his word, let me show you a couple of promises from God's word and show you what he says he will do. Now then, in Matthew chapter 8, verse 17, he says that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet saying, himself... Jesus took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. Now, if Jesus, 2,000 years ago, took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses, he doesn't plan for his children to be sick. If you'll walk in obedience to his word, you'll not lie, steal, cheat, none of these sins that he names in the word of God. If you don't do them, then you can claim this promise and you can walk in divine health. I know I've had the privilege to walk there for over 20 years. I certainly didn't do it the first 45-plus years of my life, but in the last 20, over 20 now, I have done that. Now then, also, you have to walk in faith. Now then, Jesus said when this man came to him, this was a centurion, he come to Jesus in Matthew chapter 8, saying, Lord, my servant lies at home, sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus said, I will go and heal him. Jesus wants to heal us when we repent. He has the power to forgive sin and heal us. So when the man told him he wasn't fit for him to be in his house, but that he was a man under authority, and he spoke, and men did what he said, and he said, I know you're a man of authority in the spirit world. When you speak, I know my servant's going to be healed. Well, Jesus made a statement to him. Truly, I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in all Israel. Jesus is looking for great faith. Now, of course, he was the one walking holy in obedience to God's word. There was no sin in him. So that's why he could make all these things work for him. And, he's, and as he said that, as he said that he would heal this man, then in verse 13, Jesus said, Go your way, and as you have believed, so shall it be done unto you. Now, isn't that amazing? If you believe that God can and will heal you, once you've repented of all your sins, the Lord clearly says, if you will go, and as you believed, it will be done for you. These are awesome promises. Then you turn over a few pages. We've just got time for one or two more. And we're going to go to Matthew chapter 18. And I have probably used this scripture to see God do more mighty miracles than any single scripture in the Word of God. 
Matthew chapter 18, verse 19, where Jesus said, Again I say unto you, that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. I could stand here tonight for the next four hours and tell you stories about different people that I have seen God perform by using that one mighty verse. Why? That verse works when you're obedient and you believe the Word of God. When you have the Word hidden in your heart, in fact, I will just tell you one that's so awesome that happened 11 years ago, and the young man works for me right now. Phil. Philip Anthony Wren. The little boy was 11 at the time. He had warts and scars all over his body. His mother and dad didn't know these things. They lived in sin, all kinds of sin. We don't know what it is to walk holy before God. So they were living in different kinds of sins. Now, of course, they were married and everything like this, but, and I don't think either one of them was running around on the other one. I don't think so. But there were several other areas where they were missing it. And by missing it, they had opened the door and allowed the enemy to come to their little son and all of these warts and scars had come up over his body. Of course, those scars came when they tried to burn the warts off because nothing else would take them off. But when they burned them off, they still came back. So when they met me about 11 years ago, I went over to their home, spent about two and a half hours with them, got them to repent of all of their sins, and I used that mighty promise of Matthew 18:19 to get this little job done. Whenever I did this and prayed the prayer of faith, then I got to believe with no doubt in my heart. Now, this is where it's difficult. When I prayed the prayer of faith and we got up, the mother said, Thurman, when are they going to come off? I said, that's the only thing God don't tell me is when. But I said, I'm going to guarantee you on the word of the living God that in a few days to a few weeks, Philip will not have a wart or a scar on his body because God made me a promise and he told me what to do and I'm standing on his word and I'm walking in faith and in obedience and in love and everything I know in holiness to his word. So I guarantee you he will answer my prayer for your son. Well, within three weeks, Philip didn't have a wart left on his body. And the fourth week, God took off the scars. What a mighty God we serve. Today, Phil's 22 years old. He works for me, him and his lovely wife, out at the ministry center. And they duplicate CDs and DVDs and tapes and everything else. They do all kinds of things for us. They're a great young couple. He is so grateful for what God done. Now then, isn't it amazing what God will do? He'll do exactly what he said he would do. If you will stand on his word, he will do these great and mighty things. These promises are here for us. But they only work for the obedient Christian. They work for those that will do what God said in his word. He says, don't lie, don't steal, don't cheat, don't commit adultery. He said, don't have any uh, coarse jokes or don't do any of these things. No filthy talking. In Ephesians chapter 5, 
If God said all these things, then why in the world do we in church tell jokes and coarse joke about people? Obviously, we don't believe God's Word. Maybe we think God's not serious, but He is. If you want to see God do great and wonderful things, you need to do exactly what He says. If you'll do that, you'll get to see God do great and mighty things.